What's up, everyone? This is episode 235 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my X account is at Wax Museum PC. All right, well, I hope everyone's having a great week so far. I'm over here trying to get this episode knocked out a little bit earlier in the week because I'm probably going to spend a couple days dealing with this incoming tropical storm. And you know what? That's just part of living in Florida. Got to get your flashlights ready, get your water ready, get your stuff out of your yard, all that fun stuff. However, the show must go on. And as you probably noticed from the title, this week's main segment features a conversation about an online marketplace some of us know all too well, one that some of us, myself included, probably spend a little too much time on. And earlier this week, I hopped on a Zoom call with a couple friends I chat with on a regular basis, Super Dan from the Blowout Forums and Brett from the Stacking Slabs podcast. We took a fun trip down memory lane discussing all things eBay and possibly a few other things along the way. So you'll want to make sure to stay tuned for that. But first, I want to take a few moments to tell you about one card I got in the mail this week, which I guess it's only appropriate that it was an eBay purchase. But anyway, this is an unlicensed card. Well, I say that there might be some sort of licensing, but not with the NBA at least. But it's a 2022 Sport Kings Volume 3 Grand Patch 1 of 1 of Reggie Miller. And while I have quite a few Reggie Miller patches, this card is unlike any I've ever seen. And to the best of my knowledge, it's unlike any Reggie Miller card that's ever been manufactured because Sport Kings took one of the navy blue finger sleeves that Reggie used to wear on his middle finger, the ones with the number 31 embroidered on them. They cut it, they flattened it out, and they put it in a card. And this is significant to me because for as long as I can remember, the finger sleeve was one of Reggie's trademarks. I don't know exactly when he started wearing them, but I know he was already using them in the early 90s. Uh, I posted a picture of one on social media and tagged him. He, you know, sometimes he's good at responding to that kind of stuff. I never got any response here. I was hoping to get more info. But anyway, as soon as I saw this thing listed, I knew I was going to make a serious run at it. And I bid somewhat aggressively early on. And I'll talk more about that in today's main segment. I think that strategy came back to bite me. Nonetheless, I got it. And I was also thinking, you know, the game-worn crowd would probably be up in arms about this card because it probably cost more than one of these game-worn finger sleeves by itself. You know, there are always those guys on social media now that say, well, why would you pay hundreds of dollars for a tiny swatch of fabric when you can just buy the whole thing for X amount of dollars. And yeah, I, I get it to an extent. You know, the, the economics of it makes sense. But at the end of the day, I collect cards, not full-size game-worn items, even if they are relatively small like this one. I really like the way that this presents in the card. I feel like it goes well with the rest of my Reggie Patch collection. So you might be on the watch for that. I'm going to post it up on my social media so you can see it for yourself. One more note about this whole transaction. This card went through eBay's authentication program, which I've talked about a little bit before. I've definitely had my gripes with this program. But to eBay's credit, they appear to be listening to feedback. For the longest time, us relic collectors have been begging them to stop sending thick relics in thin card savers 
because then they strap them in with these bands on the corners, and sometimes it damages the cards. This particular card came in a thicker cardboard mailer with a one-touch magnetic on the inside, so I was very pleased when I saw that. And every time I've tagged them on Twitter, um, you know, eBay said, hey, we'll we'll pass that feedback along. Well, you know, it's kind of hard to believe that every time a, a major corporation says that. In this case, it looks like they actually did. So kudos to eBay for that, um, and hopefully you have a positive experience with any of those authentication center cards you've got coming your way as well. All right, before I move into today's main conversation, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by ComC.com, your home for buying, selling, and flipping all the hottest trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 33 million cards, from basketball's biggest stars like LeBron James and Kevin Durant to Marvel favorites like Spider-Man, Thor, and Captain America. ComC has something for every type of collector. Visit ComC.com today to build your collection with your favorite cards. Additionally, some of you have asked me for ways you can help support this show. The easiest way is my eBay affiliate link, and using this link costs you absolutely nothing, just an extra 30 seconds or so of your time, but it helps support the show. To access this link, simply go to waxmuseumpodcast.com, click the eBay logo, shop as planned, so whatever you are going to buy anyway, just click my link first, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, That's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hi, this is Alan Siegel, the designer of the NBA logo. And now you're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, I mentioned eBay a few moments ago. And while I've talked about the platform on the show time and time again, I don't think I've ever devoted an entire conversation to it. So that's what I want to do today. And to help me out with that, I brought along a pair of longtime eBay veterans, the first of which has been on the show a couple times before when we talked about fraud and Derek Jeter cards, among other things. You might also know him from the blowout forums where he posts under the handle Super Dan. Dan, it's good to have you back on. How's it going, man? Hey, Kyle. Thank you. Third time's the charm, I guess. That's right. And it's been a long time. So I I was itching to get you back on. Uh, It's hard, though. You're, You're kind of a baseball guy, but I think we found the right topic for you. And then also joining us is someone who's making, believe it or not, making his official Wax Museum debut. It feels like you've been on before, but I know you haven't. And your name's come up several times, including last week's episode where I talked about our little Andrew Luck trade. You might have also heard about that on his podcast, Stacking Slabs, which releases every Wednesday and Friday. Brett, that trade was almost too easy. So I got to ask, do you have anything else tucked away that you think I might like? You know, I, uh, I, after going through with that trade and it was certainly significant on my end, helping me complete an entire gold run. I am now thinking about how I can set up save searches for uh, Pacers patch cards so I can have (laughs) some leverage to dig into some of the other uh, gold cold stuff you have. So more to come, but, but happy to be on and uh, this is going to be fun. You know, I have specifically told people when I'll say, Hey, I will trade you this card for other Pacers with the disclaimer, it cannot be one that you find on eBay because I'm going <laughs> to find it there as well. So you cannot buy something out from under me to trade it to me. Uh, although I would I would probably buckle under pressure and do it anyway. But uh, anyway, speaking of eBay, that's what we're here to talk about today. Let me provide this disclaimer before we get too far in. Uh, we are not eBay role models, right? Now, there might be some good things that we talk about. There might be some helpful hints. Uh, you might 
Here's some things that would help you to go the other way though, as well. So that, you know, we are not eBay role models, but with that being said, I figure we should start today by talking a little bit about our personal eBay history, I guess, to, to build up our credibility here in a sense. So I'll start with myself and uh, I was chatting with an eBay customer service agent not too long ago, and they opened up by saying, hi, Kyle, thank you for being with eBay for 20 years and nine months now. Uh, I guess that puts my official start date sometime in 2002. So that made me feel kind of old in the process, but that was a shared account with my mom. So I could buy Batman figures. She could buy granite ware coffee pots. We've come a long way since then. I'm still on the same account, but uh, I've kind of taken it over obviously since then. Um, and that also, I found out not long after that, hey, there are cards on eBay and that launched me into LeBron's rookie year. And uh, here we are, uh, many years removed from that. So Dan, we've chatted a little about your online history in the past before. I have a suspicion that you were on eBay before I was, although I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Tell us a little bit about when you started and why you originally logged on. So my eBay account dates from the year 2000. Um, All right. You know, it, it, every time I say that, I get that Conan O'Brien, you know, in the year 2000, <laughs> right. you know, kind of rings in your head, right? I, I got on as a way to to buy particularly Yankee refractor cards. I remember back in the day I was in, in college in, in the year 2000, and um, it was just a good way to to use some of my extra work study money to uh, to buy some Yankee cards. So who were the, I mean, I, I guess Derek Jeter, right? But were you buying prospects at that point too? Or who were the Yankees you were chasing? Yeah, I mean, Derek Jeter in, in, back in 2000. And then um, you know a little bit later, uh, Alfonso Soriano, Nick Johnson, those kind of guys were, were the prospects of the day. Um, and then, of course, I'd, I'd also dabble in some, some other inserts. McGuire was huge you know, in that era, McGuire, Griffey, Big Hurt, those guys as well. All right. Well, those aren't um, too bad of names to still be holding on to today. If you happen to still have those, Brett, I don't know how early you joined or why, but I'm just going to guess, and I could be wrong here, that it had something to do with wrestling figures or vinyl records. Am I on the right path? You are on the right path. So, um, I looked up on, I pulled up in the app and looked up my date uh, prior to this and it was 2005. Now um, there, there was, I was on prior to 2005 and I'll never forget this. I was, you hit, you hit it right on the money with the wrestling figures. There was an era where I was customizing wrestling figures. So buying parts, you know, doing that whole thing, acrylic paint, it was it was a mess, but it was a lot of fun. And a deal went awry somehow, which caused me to get flagged and they shut off my service. And so I think I had to like redo it in 2005, which would have been uh, my freshman year of college. And I think that was the era of buying a bunch of uh, old jerseys, champion NBA jerseys for college summer parties and stuff like that. And also wrestling shirts. So I've been on ever since and but you know, you name it. Um, but yeah, spending way too much time uh, since I've been back in the hobby, uh, setting up safe searches for cards. So I, I dabbled in the whole custom figure era for just a little bit, not wrestling, but I think I turned a Jalen Rose into a Ron Artest 
in the early 2000s. And then uh, I turned a, a Braves Greg Maddox into a Cubs Greg Maddox. And I think I retired <laughs> after that. Um, all right. So by now, you've both been on long enough that you developed some sort of a routine. And as much as eBay tries to send suggestions our way, the auctions don't just appear out of nowhere. So I want to know, what does your search routine look like? Is it all manual? Is it save searches? Is it a combination of the two? What's that routine look like? Brett, let's start with you this time. Yeah, so I'm a save search guy uh, through and through. I counted, a, I actually did a, like I thought was a significant purge uh, a couple weeks ago, and I still have 138 save searches set up. So um, my process really is, is like I have save searches for sets that I really like, obviously players. And if it's a player that I PC, there's likely maybe 15 to 20 separate safe searches just so I don't miss anything. So uh, I am a very much a degenerate when I get out of bed in the morning um, before I almost do anything is I'll go to the search bar and I'll search like my like Mount Rushmore of safe searches just to make sure nothing came in uh, while I was asleep. Um, and then, you know, throughout the day, it's kind of like my brain break from work is get up out of my seat and check the save searches. But yeah, I, I don't do much manual if I'm what, like I operate solely off of my save searches. And I think for me, it's getting to the point where I probably need to do another purge so I can get a little more focused because 138 is a lot to hit in a day's time. And I'm sometimes I'm doing that multiple times a day. So um, what's the max that they even allow? I know I know for sure watch list is 400, but I don't remember save searches. I would say I probably got rid of maybe 20 to 30 and I wasn't quite maxed out. I don't think, but I've hit the max before, but don't, don't, it's too many. I need to go through the process of, of cleaning things up again. Yeah, well, I think we'll talk about this later. I think eBay caps it on purpose because then you have to go through and look at all of them and, and purge them. So very smart on their part. Dan, what about you? What's your uh, search routine look like? So like Brett, I'm a degenerate when I wake up and immediately <laughs> go to the save searches. I, I click the eBay app. It's usually the first app I click when I wake up and I immediately do a quick scroll to look for that, the blue number, it used to be the blue dot on the app until uh, somewhat recently. And um, if I see any blue, you know, I'll quickly pause it with my finger and, and hope and pray that it's not a false flag. Right. Know, because I, I think um, for me, you know, I, I have probably have about 50 save searches, um, but it's, you know, I, I think of it almost like, you know, you have to have, if you have a nice garden, you have to manicure it and, and, and take care of it. Um, I always trim down the fat. If something's getting a lot of false hits, they'll have to kind of, you know, take out some of the, the words in it or add something. Um, but I, my searches at this point are so highly specialized. I think that they're very effective. Uh, so when something comes up on my want list and I see that there's, there's that kind of, you know, adrenaline rush when you see that blue number, you're like, Oh boy, this could be it. And uh, a few times it's hit and it, it's gotten me to a, a card that I needed. Well, you mentioned the false flags there. There's nothing worse than a false flag. I got one this afternoon. I have a saved search for a Jenny McCarthy top 2005 tops Chrome cutout. It was in the basketball set. 
it was a card that you know it was like an error card uh it popped this afternoon i pulled up it's some like i don't baseball like joe mccarthy cut out from like a magazine or something so it's like all right do i refine this search and risk the chance that this you know jenny mccarthy might not show up if i refine it too much or, or how do i handle this but anyway i'm just gonna leave it is as is but yeah false flags are not fun so um Dan, let's say you find something you like, right? You've got the room on your watch list because you do yep. a great job of of pruning stuff and and you know weeding stuff out. I do not. I'm maxed out on everything. Uh, but you also, you know, you see something that you like, but you can't let it sit there forever. So there's got to be a science to the approach, and everyone treats things a little differently. Let's say something's listed with a high buy it now or a best offer, and you want it. What do you do? So if, if it's completely out of my price range or the guy is, is asking a really, really stupid price, I will usually try one offer. And, and I tend to find that the people who have ridiculous prices are on auto reject of reasonable mm-hmm. offers. So I usually keep that item on my watch list in the hopes that at some point the guy will get frustrated and turn it into a 99 cent, you know, 10 day auction. And that's happened a few times where something that a guy's asking, let's say $3,000 for a Jeter insert or parallel, it's worth 500, um, doesn't get any hits for a couple months. And all of a sudden I'll see that auction converted to, or that buy it now converted to an auction. And that's, that's when you can really make your move. So, you know, for, for me, it's a bit of a waiting game, particularly with the sellers who are asking um, peak pandemic prices. Right. And Brett, um, I I hate to just bring you on and always assume with every answer here, but I've listened to enough of your show that that I feel like I can say with confidence, you're a bin smasher. And that that's not to say that you do that for every card, but sometimes you just have to hit the bin and then deal with the consequences later. You've talked about that. I mean, serious consequences with Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, talk me through that strategy. And, and then I want to know if there have ever been any regrets that have come with that. So I think there's different levels of the bin smash. And I would say that, um, you know, we've all got our our lists in our heads or ideal cards of players or sets that we, we, it's a special feeling when we see those cards. They're not like, oh, I might want to get picked that up later. I'm going to hit watch. It's that like, this is making me feel something so much right now that I'm almost forced regardless to be irrational and smash the bin. I think there's that that plays a factor into it alongside um, I know everybody who collects the same stuff that I collect and I know what they have in their collections. And I know that if this card pops up and it's making me feel that way, it's likely going to make several other people feel that way. So all of these things run through my head when I see those cards and um, you know, I'll have these moments where I'll say, okay, I'm going to throw an offer out. That's a reasonable offer and hope that the seller sees it right away and accepts it. But it gets to that point too. It's like 15 minutes later and like you're sweating. And I feel like if you're sweating and you're worried about other people, then I justify that as like, I really want this card for my in my collection. And if I'm paying an extra 50 bucks or 75 bucks or whatever it is, then so be it. But like, as long as that card makes me feel something, then I'm okay with smashing Ben. And there has been regret, but like, honestly, like as I was thinking about this, there's nothing that stands out in my mind because I don't typically go back and look at prices 
after I bought something, I would say like maybe some regret has come with uh, maybe new product that has dropped and the prices of those cards at that time, I know are significantly higher than they will be, you know, a month, two months when the next product comes out and I smash bin. Um, and then I don't end up liking the card or I end up selling the card. That's probably it, but yeah, I'm a bin smasher through and through. So you mentioned in there that that there are, are varying degrees. So sometimes things are priced fairly. And, and it's funny you you went down that path with it because um, it was probably maybe not even a week ago, I texted Dan with an eBay auction and, and wrote something to the effect of, I should just hit the bin, but I'm just going to wait a little bit to see if I get an offer. And, and in the meantime, someone hit the bin. Maybe it was Brett for all we know, but I'm under the <laughs> mindset, if I can save $10 on 10 different cards, then that allows me to buy another $100 card down the road. And it didn't work in this case, but I, I would say more often than not, it's worked for me. Dan, have you tried anything similar with some of the Yankees cards you're chasing? You know, do you think this is a successful approach? You know, it, it depends on how rare the card is. If I, if I haven't seen it in 10 years and it has a, a bin that's a little more than I want to pay, I will smash the bin. Um, it, again, if the guy's asking a really exorbitant price, that's when I'll, I'll play the waiting game. Um, but, th but there are been regrets too. You know, there, there's a few times where me being a little bit thrifty or cheap, um, you, you know, you, you get that dreaded eBay, you lost notification in like just, five different just ways. Just one? I was going to say just one. You know, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, most, right. Um, it happened recently again. Um, you know, when I was uh, a Roger Clemens card that the guy was asking $500 for, um, it was a 2000 Fleer showcase legacy out of 20. Mm. I offered $375 mm. and the price that he sold it for was $375 to somebody else. Mm. Um, I, I wanted to go back and just hit the bin. I was hoping he'd counter with like four, 400 and we'd have a deal. Uh, which is still overpaying, I think, for that card. Um, but then, then that regret sets in, like, oh, you got cheap over, you know, 125 bucks for a card that comes up maybe once every two or three years. Right, but at the same time, you said you offered the price that it sold for, correct? Uh, yes. Um, which I don't understand why he didn't send offers to both 375 dollar um, uh, people. Uh, I did contact him. And later he said that he made a big deal with a lot of cards. So I assume that the other guy paying the 375 was part of that larger deal. Um, either that or he's just covering up his ineptitude. <laughs> right. Yeah, I've always wondered about that. I mean, I not sold on eBay for a handful of years, but if I was in that situation, both people that have offered at the same time, I think would I would immediately send out a 450 offer and then kind of let it trickle down from there. Um, so since we're on the topic of, of countering offers, I don't know if, if you two sell a little bit on eBay, what's your approach to countering offers, Brett, uh, let's go ahead and hear from you first. Yeah. So, um, I typically, my selling through eBay runs through a consigner that I use. Uh, so I don't deal with that as much on the selling side. I usually outsource that. But if maybe just on the buying side, um, I 
I try, it's really hard, but I try to be as, as reasonable as possible because typically if I'm taking the time to um, extend an offer or counter their offer, that means that I really want the card. So I know there can be a lot of back and forth and people get upset and no one responds, but like for me, my time in the hobby is, is, is money and I'm trying to, you know, not waste it. So I, I, I try to like be educated on what comps are, if there are any comps or what are adjacent comps and just uh, go back and forth. If it goes more than a round or two, I'm usually walking away because it's typically, I re- I, I know it's outside of one of our scopes of what we want to pay or what the seller's trying to sell it to me for. What about you, Dan? Are you selling items? And, and if so, how do you handle the counter offer? So at this point, I'm only selling things that I want to kind of pare down out of my collection. Um, you know, any, anything within reason, I, I'm, I'm more than willing to take. Usually the negotiations go one round. Um, I'll counter the first time. And usually that's my, my best price uh, after, the, after the initial offer, if that initial offer doesn't meet what I'm looking for. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm, I don't think I'm that good at, at the dance. I know some people love the dance aspect of it. I'm kind of like, okay, you offered me once, this is where I'm at. And, and I'll, sometimes I'll even say that, like, this is my lowest price. And sometimes they take it, sometimes they don't. Yeah, I feel like I get my fair share of that when I'm set up in person at shows. I mean, there are times where you just have to be stern with people. Um, so I, I, I miss out on that online. I, I don't go through that anymore, but I do send plenty of lowball offers. So for all the people out there that are critical of that, I'm that guy. Uh, if it's something I really want, though, I will send a fair comp. But otherwise, you're going to get lowballed if uh, if you if you don't have a minimum offer set up on there. Now, in some cases, though, I will just completely kill the ability to offer and make a bid, and that's one of my strategies as well. And uh, I am not a sniper guy. I know a lot of people do like to set the snipers, and and eBay is okay with that. That's not against eBay rules, by the way. But uh, I just I like to manually bid on items. Uh, almost to a fault where I'm setting alarms. And last week I was at a Smashing Pumpkins concert and they're like three verses into Cherub Rock and I'm like bidding on this Reggie Miller card uh, because it's like, I, I can't lose this card and I'll talk more about it later. I think I got shield on it. But anyway, I won that card, but uh, sometimes that stresses me out. Uh, maybe you guys have a better bidding system than I do. Dan, let's go back to you. What, what's your approach to bidding? Okay, um, so if it's something I haven't seen in a while and I see all of a sudden it's listed for auction, uh, my first approach obviously is to add it to my to my watch list, but also to put in a small token bid. And the reason is I, I, I feel like if there's a bid on the item, the seller is less likely to end the auction early if somebody tries to swoop in. Um, you know, at, like every auction I've ever had as a seller, I've never ended early. I'll instruct the people to bid. And my thought is that there might be other sellers out there like that. So if there's a bid, they won't end it. They'll let it ride. Uh, so that's that's the first strategy. Um, I, I always look at what time the auction's ending. If it's at a reasonable time, I'll I'll try to make sure, you know, I set alarms on my phone to to manually bid. But if it's at a time where I know I'm busy or, or sleeping, I'll, I'll use uh, the Gixson Sniper. And, and I want to add that I pay for the mirror on that as well, which, which gives it two shots to succeed. 
because I, I did have it fail once before I paid. Yeah. Wow. I, I didn't even know that was a, a thing paying for the mirror. Um, I, I do know that that snipers failing are a thing and, and um, that's what I've always been kind of scared of. Although I, sometimes I sleep through an alarm too. So I I'm not perfect either, but Brett, what's your bidding strategy? Yeah. So I'm, I'm a manual guy too. I will say that a lot, although I have the safe searches and all these things set up a lot of the times, the cards that I bid on are sent to me via DMS on Instagram from my network of people who see something before I do, which I'm going to say something. I think probably a lot of people can like uh, empathize with this, but like you get that link from a friend and you go click it and then it pulls the in app, it pulls up eBay and it's like, you're not really signed in. So then you try to favorite it. And then it's just like a mess. It's like an API mess. And so then you have to like close out a Instagram and then go in and manually find that card on eBay. But typically what I have started to do that I hadn't done in the past, is just like, if I really want the card, put the bid on. So I get the alert um, because I've, I'm the king of uh, falling asleep on the couch uh, and missing it on my phone or not seeing the notification. So I try to bid early for a lot for the reasons that, that have been said here. Um, and then I'll, I'll, if it's a card I really want, I'll be watching it down to the wire, see where it is. And sometimes just making sure that like, you know, if I need to put the mega bid in or the absurd bid, just cause it's a card that I really want, I'll, I'll do that. If, if the option's competitive, just to make sure I can win it. So I I'm with you guys. I like to put the small bid in. Um, I might've overanalyzed this whole psychology of bidding this past week, because as I was purging my watch list, I, I realized that sometimes I was purging items that had already been bid up to a certain point. So I thought, you know what, maybe on this Reggie Miller card, I can scare some people off with an amount that I'm going to pay anyway. And, uh, I think I got shilled. So, uh, definitely did not work. And, and I can't prove, I don't want to, you know, put anything on this seller. I can't prove that it, I, I was shilled, but it just seems strange that somebody else was matching these bids for, especially for an unlicensed card. I'm, I thought I was one of the only weirdos that liked that kind of stuff. So, um, I want to find out how, how you would have handled this situation, because when I noticed that it kept going up, I decided to message the seller. But how do you message the seller without directly saying, hey, cut it out, right? So what I said was, hello, I would like to bid on this item, but I'm a little concerned about the current high bidder. 20% of his bidding is on your items. I know you can't fully prevent this, but could you please keep an eye on it? Thanks. Which obviously, you know, there's nothing he can do about it. And he replied, I'll watch it the best I can. Thanks for letting me know. Um, now, I will say though, the other person did not bid any higher after that. So in my mind, I would like to think that I did something there. Uh, Dan, have you ever tried the aggressive bid early on to try and, and um, keep some people away? Yeah, I, I have, um, especially if there's another bidder who, who keeps matching or exceeding your bids, uh, because I think that keeps the item at a point where you won't have a lot of watchers. You'll have at least less watchers. And I, I tend to think that less watchers is better for items that you're you really want what about you brett have you ever tried that aggressive approach I, I have uh yeah i'm in the same ballpark as all of you but just like one thing i'll just call out since we're talking shilling i think one thing that i always like to make sure i do and 
I don't think I'm the only one listening that probably sells their cards through someone else doing it on eBay. But like that, my feedback to the audience would be just like vet, vet whoever you're selling your cards through to make sure that they're canceling those like bids on cards too, just to, I don't know. That's something that I, I find valuable, especially knowing that like if my cards are being sold through someone else, they're not being shilled. Um, something about that just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it always, it's good to win a card, but at the same time, if you know, you've been shilled, it's like, all right, you know, do I want to wait and chance that this gets relisted and then it gets shilled again? Sometimes you just, you just buy a shilled card and it sucks and, and it's an awful feeling, but at the same time, you know, if you, if you didn't win it down the road, you'll probably think about that card some as well. Now, uh, Dan, I think it was you that mentioned the, uh, the message of shame earlier that you missed out on. There's the, the outbid app on the, or the outbid notification. There's the email. There is the, you missed out on there's the suggestions for other items, right? So eBay tries to tell you that you're a loser in as many ways as possible. And um, a part of my whole walk of shame here or scroll of shame, I guess you could call it is sometimes if I lose, I don't do this every time. If I lose a really big item, I'm going through my watch list and buying something. Um, it's just like, I call it my consolation prize. I, I want to know, Dan, Have is that something you do? Am I a weirdo for that? Is that just me being a, a poor use of my money or, or what's going on there? No, I, I don't do that normally, but I, I can understand how you, you just want something to pick you up after <laughs> after losing out. Because losing out does hurt. Like I lost out on that aforementioned Clemens card. In the middle of a meeting at work, I got the notification. <laughs> and it was, you know, I, I, I don't know what I said. I think I said something or made some kind of, you know, sound of displeasure you know, uh, at the time. Because I looked down and I'm expecting it to be, because it's, it's that distinct eBay noise. I'm expecting it to be pay now. But then, you know, it, it told me I missed out. And it was, it. <laughs> there is a psychology to that, obviously. And, um eBay is encouraging us to do things like like you do, Kyle. Just go and buy something else. Yeah, because they've got me looking at those blue dots or those blue numbers when I wake up and when I go to bed. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's probably I need to take a break from that. Brett, have you ever done the the scroll of shame? All the time. Yeah, I, I it's pretty commonplace to me. But I think my growth in the hobby has uh, is becoming. Uh, this uh, having some sort of self uh, constraint to after I take an L to make sure that I don't just end up buying something to fill the void. Not saying I'm completely through that because I'm not. I do it all the time, but like I'm really trying to to just like take a breather and sleep on it. I found that like the more you can sleep on it, like wake up feeling fresh with a fresh mind, uh, you're probably going to still be upset that you lost the card, but. Uh, the more time you give away from it, I feel like the better off you, you you're going to be. Sound advice from uh, an eBay veteran that, that I should probably be taking here, but um, I'm, I'll be going to bed in about an hour and I'll be looking at those blue dots again. Um, all right, guys. So I, I said we were going to chat about all things eBay today. There's not enough time in the world to do that. We'll probably have to do a, a part two at some point. Uh, but I appreciate you guys coming on here. We didn't even get to the only time that a, a seller blocked me and, and Dan had to bail me out on a, a major lot find. It was actually that Barry Sanders Playmakers Theater. Dan had to buy that for me, but we'll save that story for another day. Uh, before we go, I want to give you some time to offer up any final thoughts, give your social media handles or plug anything you might be 
working on or looking for? Dan, let's go ahead and start with you. Okay, so next time I'm on, I promise to have an Instagram account. You know, okay, I, I keep a low I keep a low profile, you know, based on some of the stuff that I do on blowout. Um, you know, I, I show up at shows in person and, and do eBay and, and some small scale trades. But I I will get an Instagram and I can show off all my 90s Yankees parallels and inserts. Uh, I also collect uh, baseball Hall of Famers on card autographs uh, from the 50s forward. So um I guess the one thing I'll plug is the card I missed out on on eBay from a, a weird seller, like the weirdest seller ever. Uh, I was trying to, believe it or not, make the the rainbow of the 2016 Allen and Ginter Pope Francis card. And oh, I man. missed out on the, I know, uh, the mini wood one of one card. Um, the guy who was trying to sell it to me uh, tried to extort me. And um, it didn't work. And I don't know what happened with the card. It never sold. And I sent him a message and, and he never responded. He was a, a guy who would always respond every time I asked about it. He'd be like, wow, so rare. You'll never find this again. <laughs> it, it, just, it was the most bizarre thing ever. Um, so if you see the 2016 Pope Francis mini wood one of one, contact Kyle and he'll get a hold of me. Brett, I don't know if if your if your mind is spinning right now. I I think uh, and and this maybe is to get Dan on Instagram. I think there's a mini wood one of one guy on Instagram. Oh, yeah. So I, <laughs> I not to not to you know put any uh, suspicions out there, but uh, it might be another reason to get you to join. Uh, Brett, why don't you give us your handles and all the things you're looking for and all that wonderful stuff as well? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Kyle. Um, at Stacking Slabs across all the social channels, uh, I have new shows that drop on Wednesday, and then I have a collector conversation typically on Friday. So um, you can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're listening to Wax Museum, um, I am. So I we have taught, well, kind of danced around it a little bit, but I had I just completed the Andrew Luck gold prism run from 2012 to 2019, um, which was an awesome feat that Kyle um, was a part in that story. And so, so many people have asked me um, the, well, what's next with Andrew Luck? And I, I said, well, I'm going to go after his black finites, which is a feat of a feat of all feats. So the card that I ended the gold run with that Kyle traded me was the 2014 Andrew Luck Gold Prism and the one Andrew Luck Black Finite I have is the 2014. So we're going to go like reverse order. So I'd say, you know, what my finding of Andrew Luck cards typically comes from people going to shows and taking pictures and uh, sending them to me. So if you're out and about in the wild hunting at shows and you see, um, you know, Black Finite Andrew Luck cards, hit me up at Stacking Slabs or any Andrew Luck cards. Uh, in general, I'm a pretty significant collector at this point in my journey. And feel free uh, to run those by me as well, if you <laughs> if you so desire. But, he's got he's got a sneaky following. I'm telling you, right? Yeah, people think I'm just a basketball guy. I got a few Andrew Lux uh, hidden away here. All right, and then as usual, if you find those Andrew Lux, you can find me on Instagram <laughs> under at Wax Museum Podcast or X under the handle at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the website for my affiliate links, tag Taco Bell, and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this 
is the Wax Museum Podcast. 